Welcome to the podcast Studio Stein, Inspiring Leadership. I learned in my life the importance of being inspired by others and to be surrounded by people who bring you new insights and perspectives. That is the way to grow as a leader and human being in challenging and changing times. In this podcast series, I bring you the latest innovations on personal development and leadership told from business managers, CEOs, spiritual leaders, and people who live their true story. Welcome to the podcast studio, Stay in Inspiring Leadership. I learned in my life the importance of being inspired by others and to be surrounded by people who bring you new insights and perspectives. That is the way to grow as a leader and a human being in challenging and changing times. In this podcast series, I bring you the latest innovations on personal development and leadership, taught from business managers, spiritual leaders, and people who live their true story. I am your host, Tain Stas executive coach, coach, and absolutely addicted to podcast making. Today, my guest is Nick Mandel, and I'm so honored and excited to have him in my show today. Nick was an American actor known for his stage work in several Hollywood movies and television series. He was the owner of different consultancy agencies and marketing. And since 2022, he is a certified neurochange solution consultant uh, where he educates businesses on Dr. Joe Dispenza's method of changing organizations from the inside out. Welcome, Nick. Very nice to have you here. Well, it's a great honor. Thank you for giving me the platform and the time. Yeah, it was uh, for the listener. Um, we met recently on a weekend on the doc- in Paris on the Dr. Joe Dispenza retreat, where he was performing on stage one of these uh, specific uh, meditation methods, methods, and I was really intrigued, and I really wanted to know about Nick and how how these methods work. So I asked him, I grabbed him by the head, and I asked him for his phone number. And so here we are. And for the listener, uh, in this episode, you will find more. You will find out more about Nick's life flow, the ups and downs, and how we became uh, the man he is now. Uh, what the key elements were in his life and how he incorporates the practices of meditation and Joe Dispenza's teachings uh, in his life and uh, the life that he wants to create. So welcome again, Nick. And I really was not aware that you once were an actor. How did how did you enroll into that life uh, once uh, upon a lifetime? Yeah, it's an interesting path how it unfolded and Mm. it was almost like walking through a forest and seeing a small path that took a turn and as the famous famous poem says two paths diverged in a wood and i took the one less traveled i just decided based off of an early desire deeply rooted in wanting to do something that I felt was impactful Mm -hmm. that could help people. I decided to um, become an actor. And I think, I think the reason that I saw that is because or I decided that is because at an early age, I was brought up in the Catholic church Mm -hmm. and I would see, I would see priests on altars that seemed to be helping people. 
and and then I would would see actors on stages that seemed like bigger altars with bigger audiences. And of course, actors didn't have to give up everything that a priest has to give up. Mm. So my <laughs> so so it seemed like a better deal. Um, mm. So my early my earliest calling actually that my earliest desire was to become a priest or or a monk, which is connected to the current story uh, today, where I where I meet you. But um, as it unfolded in in my youth. Uh, I think that was the reason that I was attracted to the stage. And, and um, when I was relatively young, like 14, 15, I started to, to my, I'd had my first experiences on the stage and, and fell more and lo- more and more in love with the theater and, and the literature of the theater and particularly the, the older literature of the theater. Mm. And that, that led me serendipitously uh, synchronistically, as we say, in 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 this work, so many synchronicities. When I think back on how I ended up where I ended up, uh, but eventually that led me to New York City. I was supposed to go to L.A. Actually, I had I was offered a I was offered a job, an agent, and a place to live in L.A. But I only knew mm-hmm. one person in L.A. and I knew one person in New York, and I knew I probably had to be in New York, L.A., or London to be the actor that I wanted to become. And I really, I did, I wasn't crazy about New York. I thought at the time LA was, you know, it was a, it was a city on the beach and, and the mountains, the outdoors. I just thought it would be a better place to be. And, but the one person that I knew in LA disappeared. Mm. And, and I found out uh, to this day, I've never, I've never seen, he was a family friend. I never, saw him again but i found out through others that he had taken up with a cult okay ironically and uh and and sort of disappeared he was also at the time i'm not going to say his name but he was he was also an actor a former actor at the time he was a friend of the family Mm -hmm. and um and anyway he i had i had my ticket booked to go out to la i was all ready for this i was i was uh you know in my late teens and I had just started working as an actor um, in South Florida, where I graduated high school. And all of a sudden, the plan just exploded. I had no—I didn't have any anyone. I didn't—I had nowhere to go. I didn't know anybody there, and so I canceled my flight. And again, through another synchronicity, I worked and on. What, if a, I may, if I may, Nick, what what made you cancel the flight? What 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 was going because, on there? The, the 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 only person that I knew in LA was this was this friend of mine or friend yeah. family friend I didn't know anybody else and so I I just that was a big part of it but also something in my gut yeah. I think it was it was yeah. a, it was a it was a gut thing and I again I knew I knew one person in New York and one person in LA yeah. the one person in LA in LA disappeared yeah. and and then at the same time. I was working on one of my first films in South Florida and I met an actor who flew down for the kickoff party. And many of your listeners will probably know who he is. This is a guy named Liev Shriver, who uh, mm. I guess is most famous now for um, Ray Donovan on uh, Showtime. Yeah. He was, he was also Wolverine in, in the X-Men series mm. or not Wolverine. He was the saber tooth. Uh, mm. He was the, he was the, the other guy. Anyway, 
so Liev had a had a had a young budding career at the time, and uh, and we became acquainted over this dinner. And he he was either just about to do or he was doing Macbeth on Broadway with uh, Alec Baldwin, I think. And I listened to him and I thought, this guy's living the life. He's got the career that I want to have. Mm. And so I just started to pick his brain. I asked him everything. And this is this is the first key to how how the life that you desire might unfold mm. is. And I didn't know this at the time. I, I wish I'd been more conscientious or aware of it but i just intuitively i saw a guy who had a life similar to one that i was attracted to so i started asking him for advice i started asking how did you do it and he had graduated from the yale school of drama which is in um connecticut i think it's in connecticut and it's where meryl streep is one of the most famous actresses and and the highly most highly decorated actress of all time went to school and so that inspired me to think about going to one of these schools. Now there's really only a handful that have that sort of notoriety in the world. Um, mm. I, I would say, especially at, the, at, at that time, it was, it was uh, Yale school of drama. It was the New York um, uh, Tisch school of the arts. It was Juilliard and it was the Royal Academy of dramatic arts in, in England. Mm. And so this friend disappears in LA and I meet Liev and that conversation inspires me to go to New York and audition for these, these great schools. Uh, Juilliard for me being top of the list, because as you, as some people may know, it has some of the greatest actors we've known went to school there. Um, actors like Christopher Reeve, who played the original or, or mm. played probably the most famous Superman, not the original Superman. Um, Robin Williams, Kevin Spacey, uh, you know, the list is enormous. Uh, yeah. Juilliard was an amazing school. Plus it was in New York. It was closer to home. I, I also auditioned for uh, Yale and I auditioned for the Royal Academy. So those were the three, the three school choices. And by another synchronicity, I was waitlisted for Yale and the Royal Academy, meaning that I was, I was not immediately selected. And I think part of the reason behind that was that they tried to form, they tried to uh, bring on a troop of actors that are going to work well together in one mm. class. But I think another reason for that is I was, I was working on a film. Uh, I had gone to New York, I'd gotten an agent, the whole thing. And I was working on a film in Canada and I was just, I had to fly back to New York for the, for the um, Royal Academy and the Yale auditions. Mm. And I was just exhausted. And I don't think I gave the best audition, but again, synchronistically it, it just worked out or serendipitously it worked out. And I ended up giving a, a, a great audition for Juilliard. I ended up getting into Juilliard and, and then um, my life changed significantly. Now I, I got in, I was, I was excited about that honor because at the time there were thousands of people, still thousands of people audition and they only selected, I think, 20, 30, 30 people. So what, what made it that, that they choose you? What do you think if you look, look retrospectively at that moment, what were your Honestly, biggest talents? Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the factors I had uh, when I was auditioning. There was, there was a young man 
and there was a young man and there was a young girl who later became my girlfriend and who's now an Academy Award winner. She, <laughs> okay, she's, she's, yeah. a, she's an Academy Award she, winner. She had a crush on you. I had a crush on her. I think I eventually <laughs> convinced her. I think I convinced uh -huh. her to eventually have a crush on yeah. her. And, um, and they both said to me, well, the, the, the young guy in particular who later became a very, very close friend of mine and also mm -hmm. a very, a very famous, successful actor. Um, he said to me, you know, he says, I think you're going to get into this school. And I said, why do you say that? And mm -hmm. he said, because you, because you don't care. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was the and question he, of really being detached of, of you just being you just, detached. Yeah. 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 And I'm glad you said that because it's not that I didn't care in the sense that I was, um, lackluster about it. I just mm -hmm. didn't, I wasn't trying too hard. I just thought like everything has worked out so far for me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been very blessed. And yeah. so if I get in, I have a new opportunity. If I don't, I'll have other opportunities. So I just wasn't yeah. too attached to the outcome. And as Dr. Joe says, one of, one of my favorite things that Dr. Joe says is to, to over intend is to try too hard. And to over-surrender mm. is to give up. And so I wasn't over-intending. I wasn't trying too hard. But I also, I also didn't, wasn't, like I said, completely lackluster about it. I, I, I wanted it if it wanted me. Mm. That would be the best way to put it. I wanted yeah. it if it wanted me. And, is, um, is that also about having the, 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 the full trust that whatever happens, it is okay? It is fine. Yes, that's that to me is the art of surrender. Mm. That's and, and and it's and another beautiful book about that or story about that is uh, is a book called The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer, which I recommend to your listeners. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was that was my surrender experiment. It's yeah. just always saying, no matter what, it's going to work out. It'll be fine. And then my second, I got into the school and my second day of school was September 11th. So there I was in New York. I was actually staying down downtown. Mm. So I was there. I was at school for the destruction of the buildings, but I was back. I was there that same night. Mm. And, uh, and it looked, you know, to, to, to my young eyes at the time, it looked like the end of the world. You know, it really yeah. did. Yeah, it looked yeah, like yeah. the world was coming to an end. And then everything for me shifted again, everything in that, in that moment, everything changed again. And I don't know how much of this story that we should get into, because I know, you know, we only have so much time, but I'll say that I ended up leaving school for two weeks, asking for a leave and working down there at, at the ground zero. And I worked with a, with a detective named Frank Montalbano. I hope he's still healthy and well. Um, if there's any chance that he hears this podcast, I send him the, greatest amount of love he's an amazing guy mm. and he had been severely injured uh and he lost i think i think five at least five men that he was mm. with in one of the buildings that collapsed he he had escaped and he still he's he stayed around even though he was pretty badly injured just to be of moral support so we had long conversations and and you know i said to him i confided in him that i i didn't feel i was on a path to do enough for the world as an actor. And I was really questioning my decision to go to Juilliard and to become, to, mm -hmm. to take this career path. And then he said to me, he said, you know, 
he says, where do you think we all go, all these firefighters and police officers, at the end of a long week, after all this tragedy, where do you think we're going to do? He says, we're going to sit down with our loved ones in front of the TV set. We're going to go to movie theaters and watch movies. He says, that's as important of a calling or career as anything else. Mm-hmm. And so he encouraged me to stay at Juilliard and finish Juilliard. And he was a large part, the reason that I did. Mm-hmm. But so, so I understand there was a moment of doubt that your, your, the choice that you made to become an actor, there was a doubt. Yeah. Huge, huge doubt. And actually, to be honest with you, it never left me. Mm. It never, it never left. I just kept, I didn't really know what else to do. It wasn't clear. And this was such a huge opportunity that it seemed had been given to me Yeah, that I felt that I had to follow through with it. And so I did. But as the years went on, I became more and more dissatisfied because I felt that I was doing, I wasn't doing enough of what I felt I had a duty to do. Uh, which was essentially was, help yeah. help people. Mm. Well, was that the the vision of the monk or the priest coming up again, or the feeling of this um, what you described earlier? Yeah, that that was that was absolutely it. Yeah, mm. and so I I would I would even then since then I would always think maybe I should just leave this and become a monk and just tr- just try it and see if that's the path. Mm. Um, and that was. That was what I felt up until I quit the acting business about six years ago. And, and then I had prepared or I was preparing to go to a monastery uh, just before, um, just before 20, uh, New Year's of 2020. I scheduled this trip. Mm-hmm. I scheduled the trip for, for March of 2020 to go to an ashram. And then you know what happened. I, yeah. I, I, I actually decided I decided I was going to go to Hawaii first. There was an ashram in Hawaii, funny enough, that I was going to go to. And then I was going to do that, that <laughs> for, for, I thought, 30 days and then decide, decide where to go mm, next. But to try it out. But, um, but the, the, the interesting thing, I don't, know, I don't know if it would have been different with India, probably not. But the interesting thing is that I chose Hawaii, but the the world shut down as you remember yeah, in march of yeah. 2020 and hawaii was one of the most strict so there were no flights in and out so i don't know i can't remember how india was so i don't know if i chosen somewhere else the point is i might have still been able to go yeah but um hawaii was one of the most strict so it was yeah. it was yeah. it was definite that i wasn't going to be able yeah. to get to hawaii yeah. and so it was at that point that i decided to turn my home into a monastery of, of sorts. And, and anyway, I knew enough about the work to know that ultimately we don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to go to an ashram, mm. to a cave, to, to a forest, to a monastery. We can, and we should create that life or pursue that state of consciousness anywhere. Mm. and that's what all the great teachers have always told us yeah and so yeah. and so that's what i decided to do yeah and um and so i sat for long days and long hours and i i meditated and i said to the divine i said to the universe i said okay if that's not my path and if i'm not meant to go to the, go to the ashram or become a monk or whatever 
show it to me. Sh- show me what's the highest pota- path of my potential. So you ask it and, very intentionally to yeah to the universe or to God yeah. or to yeah. yeah exactly. And again, I I wish I had done this. I wish I'd done these things earlier, or I wish I'd known to do them earlier. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but you know, I have learned in my life that when you when you ask, you shall receive. Mm. Dr. Joe, Dr. Joe says clear intention, elevated emotion, unwavering will. Mm. That's the magic recipe. And a clear intention can also be a very, very clear question. What's the question? What, what am I meant to do? Where am I meant, meant to be? Who am I meant to be? What am I meant to be? And to devote yourself to the vision that might unfold and surrender as well, because yeah. it often doesn't look the way that we think it might. Yeah. And it certainly didn't in my case. Yeah. And as I've, as I've told many people about, um, it didn't take long, about 10 days of that. I started to, I started to, in my meditations, I started to see images of myself teaching, mm. teaching work, helping people. And at the time, uh, I thought it was Tony Robbins work. I was, um, mm. <laughs> I was much, much closer, more connected to Tony Robbins than, than, than I, I was Dr. Joe or anybody else. Mm. And, um, but I just continued to sat, sit with it. And I think it was within 10 days of that, that, uh, as I tell the story, Dr. Joe Dispenza walks physically walks into my life. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Before we continue on, on, uh, on the meeting or on that moment of Dr. Joe Dispenza, I would like to, how was it for you to leave, to leave the actor career? Did, was that a clear decision and a clear set point or a, a a changing moment in your life? How did how did that happen? It's a good question. I think if I reflect on myself, there's always been what I call the tiny knowing, the little mm. voice within. Yeah. And I think the more like we keep very I far become, away from ourselves. Yeah. For a long it's, time. It's, we hide it. it it's sort of it's sort of the signal in the noise, mm. and the more the more quiet one becomes, the louder the voice gets, or the more clear mm. the voice gets. The more one focuses on that voice, the louder and clearer it gets. And I just was a master at ignoring that voice. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> I was a master at just stuffing that voice away and pretending mm-hmm. to be confused and just going about life, you know, as, as everybody else I, expected. Yeah. Yeah. Some version of that. I certainly didn't go about my life the way that the way that other people expected, but I think, you know, there's this wonderful quote that I love. I can't remember who said it. So forgive me for not quote, for not uh, referencing them, but, but the quote is, I am not who I think I am. I am Mm -hmm. not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. And it's that sort of projection of, I, of an idea mm-hmm. that that I found myself enslaved to. What I thought other people thought 
was the right thing. It wasn't necessarily what they, what they thought, what they wanted. It was just my idea of what I should do based off of what I thought other people thought, I guess. And it's beautiful. And it wasn't until I really released, let go of that among other things that I was able to get more clarity. So when the, when the decision came, when the decision actually came, it was because of a wonderful manager I had. Uh, So in, in, when you're represented as an actor, you can have an agent Mm -hmm. or you can have a manager or you could have an agent and a manager and the manager sort of helps manage the agent. The relationship is, can get quite complex in Hollywood, but um, I had both. I had a manager and, and I had uh, several agents and, and it was a new, relatively new manager. And the manager called me up one day and she, she, I think she was, she is quite intuitive. And she said, you know, I, I feel this conflict with you. Like, mm. like you kind of want it, but you kind of don't. I was turning down a lot of work. Um, mm. A lot of the work that I did, I, I was very dissatisfied with. And I did it because I was told that I should. And I was told, you know, I had, I had, you know, I wanted to make money as an actor. And so I took these jobs on and I was told, oh, if you do these jobs, then you'll, you know, make it easier for you to do the other jobs. And I just, yeah. I really it was something I really hated about the business and a lot of actors get, get caught in that cycle. Anyway. So she said, I have this feeling like you, you kind of want it, but you don't really. And she says, what's the deal? What do you, she says, do you even want to be an actor anymore? She was mirroring bef- you. Yeah, it was amazing. And before I could even think about my answer, I just heard myself say, no, I don't. I don't want to be an actor anymore. Mm. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I just said that. And so in that phone call, she got my agents on the phone and I let everybody go. I let it all uh, go. One one phone call. How how was that to really speak it out loudly? I don't want to be an actor anymore. A huge weight was off my shoulder. I will also say that the friend that I referenced earlier. Uh-huh who was the one that was at my audition, who was helping. He was, he was, uh, he was a year ahead of me at Juilliard and he was helping at my audition, uh, became a very successful actor. He, he had just died and he had died a very tragic death and a very heartbreaking death. And that also changed a lot of things for me because I realized that even at the greatest height of success, most of the actors I knew, and I've known, I've known actors at all levels of the business, mm. you know, um, the highest level that you can imagine. And I've known, and I know personally, some of the most successful actors in the world. And it's so few of them that are genuinely that my experience of them is genuine, genuine happiness. Mm. It's a very, it's as tough of a business as you hear people say for many reasons. But anyway, my, my friends, my friend's demise and his death uh, was also very impactful. And that Mm. made it, that made it easier for me to let, let it all go. So what do you think, are if you look at retrospectively are the reasons that you postponed it so long and and that that you did not listen to this inner voice inside of yourself how, how what do you think 
hold you back. You know, it's the, it's it's the same reason somebody stays in an unhealthy relationship yeah. to anything for too long. An, un, an unhealthy relationship to a spouse, an unhealthy relationship to food, an unhealthy relationship mm. to television. The same reason that anyone holds on to that unhealthy relationship is that part of it creates a sense of comfort and identity. Mm. I'm comfortable even though I'm not living my ideal or I'm comfortable even though I feel unhealthy or I'm comfortable mm. Even though, even though I believe there's something better for me and I'm identified with this, right? I had committed to being an actor at the highest level. I, you know, put myself through four years of school at Juilliard. I, mm. you know, I, I, I achieved some of the things that most actors in the world desire to achieve and mm. will never achieve. You know, I, I was in the, I was in that top percentile of, of actors that get to experience things like a Broadway stage or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so it was that, it was all those reasons that made it very difficult to let go. Did, did you feel naked when you made the decision? I am not an actor anymore. Was it, was it a kind of, uh, well, it's, that's a great education. Did you feel lost or who am I now? You're not an actor anymore. Stan, it's a really great question. A really yeah. great question. I never liked, and I still don't like it. I never liked it when people would introduce me as an actor. Mm. Or so, I didn't like it when somebody said- I will change the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's fine now because I'm a former, you know, I say I'm a former yeah, yeah, actor, yeah. Which, is, which feels feels fine. But, you know, I, I didn't like saying, I still don't like saying I am X, Y, and Z. I don't like to say mm. I am other than- yeah. uh, I don't even know of an I am that I believe is definitive. I mean, I could say I'm a human being, but I'm also more than a human being, I believe, mm. right? I could say I am spirit, but I'm more than spirit. I could say I am. I never liked saying I am an actor. There was something about that that never felt good to me. I also never liked saying mm. I am a consultant. I, 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 I don't necessarily even like saying, you know, somebody says, what do you do? I, I'm a performance advisor. You know, I help. I am a coach. I don't, I, I don't like any of those I ams. Mm. And I think it's because I know what I tend to do when somebody says I am something. Somebody says, I am a podcast host. And you say, I'm a podcast host. I create, and our brains do this. We create yeah. a, a pocket to put that person in because our tendencies, we, we create a label and, and it becomes, it becomes mutually limiting, not just self-limiting. Yeah. It becomes mutually limiting. And I think for that reason, I didn't like the label. And so letting go of it, I don't think I felt naked as much as I felt liberated. So maybe there's a form of liberation that comes when you take all your clothes off and you run mm. run out in the street or run run through Burning Man. I'm sure there is. So there's a version of it, I guess, that was naked. But it was more it was more being liberated. That's what it felt like. So how how would you describe your your person or your psyche? No, I don't. I don't. I don't describe it. How would I describe it? How would I describe my person, my psyche? Um, I think I'd have to ask you to clarify that question. What's the, what's the what's the actual question? Well, you know, because I asked the question 
I, I, I can totally resonate with what you say, yet um, when we are when we try to make connection with people or you want to live in a community or in, in, in set yourself in relations with people, it is very diff it, it is a very difficult one to just be and people need need some more information and um, so so they mm. can hang on to something. I see what without, you're saying. without giving without limiting yourself or limiting them about what they might think of you. Yeah, How, that's a great question. In terms of question, I, I, what do I see what works? you're saying. Would, would you describe yourself then so that they can still hung, hang on to, to something you are? I still play the game. Mm. I still play the game. And I play the game because it's easier and to me it makes more sense too. So somebody says to me, what do you do? I still play the game. I still answer to them. I'm a performance advisor. I help people and businesses improve mm. themselves. I still, I, I will still say that, but I say it mindfully. I say it still thinking I am not this thing. I've just chosen to do these things. Mm. Right. So I guess that's the only difference. And I also, I'm also mindful. I try to be mindful. If somebody says to me, you know, I, I met this uh, a lovely girl when I was recently in Paris, and and she said, she said to me, "I'm, uh, I'm a former, I'm a banker, uh, formerly with Goldman Sachs," and it, and I was just aware of the it, like. First of all, it surprised me that she was because she didn't look in that way to me at that time. <laughs> but then I was mm -hmm. mindful, like you know, in that moment. She didn't look like a banker, but now she told me she was. And so now my group, my brain took that and created a new image of her. Mm. But that's not necessarily who she is either. No. So I try to be mindful of how I, again, have the tendency, we all, which we all do, to be mutually and self-limiting in these labels. And mm. I, try to, I try to constantly overcome that. Mm. And a really important place to do it by the way, is with celebrity, any kind of celebrity from, from, you know, the, the global change makers like Tony Robbins, all the way down to, you know, your TikTok social media stars. It's the, one of the most important things I think we can do is to transcend our, the image that we create around celebrity mm. and putting human beings on these pedestals and creating a uh, creating a differential of better than and less than i think you that's know, i think that's a dangerous trap i, I like that uh, i once read an interview with the dalai, with the dalai lama uh, by an american psychiatrist and he asked the dalai lama your holiness what do you do in life and the dalai lama answers what, what kind of question is that? I, 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 can you can you explain about the question? So he says, well, you know, in in the Western world, we ask people what they do in life because that makes give them uh, an identification that gives them a role in life. And so the Dalai Lama says, let me think about it tonight. And the next morning, he comes back and he answers, well, you know, I just take care of myself, and if I can take care of myself and I am in a good shape and I, and I can do what I do, 
then I can help others and again be of assistance to others. And I found that so profound because it is just making awaken awaken the soul in yourself what you need to do here and then and then shine that out to others. So it is in a way taking a step backward from the identification of a certain role or certain responsibilities, which we all have, of course, but um, so, well, thank you for, for, um, for putting this, this uh, into the show, Nick. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful, I think that was a beautiful quote or story of the Dalai Lama. I saw another, another Buddhist monk say something similar recently. And I think it's true. I think, you know, we so we forget that we're part of this greater conscious system that has been evolving for billions of years. Yeah. And it clearly evolves for self-betterment and yeah. for growth. And the indicator of self-improvement and growth and evolution is long-term sustainable good feelings. I don't mean the short-term mm. good feelings that that you know that I'm getting from this uh no, you know no instant this, gratification this this mocha <laughs> coffee right now I'm talking mm. about long term good feeling long term satisfaction those are the indicators this is what I tell the people that I work with that I advise your feelings are the indicators when i feel good when i feel deeply satisfied and i feel good in the long term it's an indicator that i'm on the right path and when i don't mm. when my feelings start to show up as other than that then it's just an indication I'm on the on the wrong path, or I could be on a better path. Mm. But what what would, think, we, would you say, Nick, is the the common denominator for um, that we feelings that we all share on this deep, profound level? To what what would what would what would you what would you say? Is it joy or happiness or what, what is that for you? This common common denominator that that bounds us all as human beings or as humans or and even animals i i think that i think that the most fundamental mm. common underlying feeling mm -hmm. is the feeling of unconditional love mm. and i mean the experience of it and it's there there may be many people and and even some of your listeners who mm. don't know that experience i know that experience mm. the experience of unconditional unconditional love and i haven't always felt it and it actually took me till much later in my life to experience it but that's the fundamental feeling. And I think that all the other positive feelings stem from that, whether it's joy, whether it's fulfillment, whether it's peace, love, happiness. I think all of those are good indicators well, as long as they're not short-term. Yeah. But I think, un I think the experience of unconditional love is the one that, that yeah. is certainly the most commonly believed to be the fundamental feeling and, and, and indicator of the of evolution and mm. and the greatest principle of the universe but that's the best answer i have there yeah when when did you experience it for the first time very consciously well now this is unconditional love when was that for you 
Oh man. If I, if I, if I have to be honest, which I'm going to be the first time I was, I was in a deep state of prayer. It was my first mystical experience. And I was probably about 12 years old, a very difficult time in my life. I was living in Bogota, Colombia. And my father had just left my family. So we were, my, my, we were alone. It was my mother, myself, who was the oldest child, my sister, and my young brother was just a baby. And my mother was very religious and she would, she would not even ask. She would make us pray with her often. Mm. And I remember in one of these experiences, a, a deep, profound, mystical experience that came um, in a state of prayer, which now in hindsight was closer to a meditative state. Uh, we were mm. doing something called praying the rosary and the rosary they believe was borrowed by Christian monks from Buddhist monks. Mm. And it's a, it's a prayer in a, in a, in a, a link of beads. As most of your listeners probably already are familiar with. And it was just the repetition of this prayer that brought me now what I believe into a, a theta state, potentially even a gamma state. That are brainwaves in your, uh, just for the listener, brainwaves in, uh, in your brain. Correct. Theta. Brainwaves yeah. that, brainwaves that we, we aim for through meditation. Mm. Um, alpha, theta, theta, delta, and then yeah. gamma, which is gamma, at the yeah. highest end of the spectrum, which is a very rare brain yeah. state. But anyway, I had this mo moment of ecstasy. So that was one experience. Of course, you know, also when my brother was born, the experience of, of, uh, of, I desperately wanted a brother and I prayed for a brother for a long mm. time. So that experience. And then another very different experience, um, came much later in life, uh, when I was invited to do ayahuasca mm. in the mountains of Peru. And I had, uh, I was accompanying a friend of mine who, who was a film producer and was very sick at the time and he he had, western medicine had brought wasn't able to help him at all and so he started to pursue other modalities mm. and one of one of these he was invited to was was uh or he was suggested that he do was ayahuasca and, he, and i told him i'd accompany him because he like i said he was quite ill and in that experience uh which was what we would understand or know as a psychedelic experience i had i had an absolutely profound experience of oneness and unconditional love mm. as the foundational energy or experience of the universe. Um, and then I became a father uh, 11 years ago. Uh, that was another experience. And, and then in deep meditative states, uh, when I've spent long times as I have, uh, not even in Dr. Joe's work, uh, but it's happened in Dr. Joe's work, um, but prior to Dr. Joe's work in, in Vipassana, Okay. Yeah. Which is one of the oldest forms of meditation, and allegedly the meditation mm. that the Buddha used under the Bodhi tree. Mm. Um, you know, they have these long retreats that you can go and and sit yeah. for many many hours in silence and meditation, yeah, and that experience as well. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. 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 So I would say those those are those are the experiences where I had the most mm. profound, impactful, and clear experience of unconditional love. Mm. To come back to your encounter with Dr. Joe, did you feel that with him as well when he passed by in New York? Not, not, in, the after, yeah. not, not in the guru sense, if that's what you no. mean. No, um, no, 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 I, no, I, I didn't, I do, I, not, not in that way, no. 
Yeah, no, I when I met Dr. Joe, um, I didn't really know what he was doing. And I, I so I didn't I didn't see I didn't know what he was up to funny. Enough. I mean, I I should I should have because I'm I'm sort of the perfect uh, I'm his perfect audience. Mm. Um, but I didn't I didn't know what he was up to. I had I remembered him vaguely from the film What the Bleep in 2005. I'd seen that. And I remembered his books had come across my path. But I didn't know that he was doing these retreats. I didn't really know what he was up to. I met him as another human being. And I think, mm. I think because I've been exposed to celebrity at the highest levels, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't perceive him in that way at no. all. I just perceived him as this really cool dude who had a wonderful way about him, and we had a very beautiful com- first conversation, which was about this about this desire of mine to go to a monastery and he said to me you know I, he said i i felt the same way he says but i decided that if i were to consider what the highest potential of the divine is infinite possibility what 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 could be the highest potential would it be creating a monastery or going to a monastery off and away and outside of society or would it be a practice a monastic practice or a spiritual practice or a practice of approaching desiring divinity, a practice of desiring higher, higher states of consciousness in the material world. Mm. And when he said that something just clicked and I thought, of course, I've never thought about it this way. What would be the, the highest? What would, if, if, if I were God, what would I want for me? Mm. right wouldn't i want (laughs) the most diverse experience possible Mm -hmm. right or even if i was if i was able to write my own story if i was writing the screenplay of nick minnell would uh, what story would i most want to write would i want to write the story about the guy that disappears and becomes a monk or would i want to write the story Right. Or would I want to write the story of the guy who lives in the material world and creates change and pursues these higher states of consciousness and interacts with people day to day and makes an impact. Mm. And I realized, I think I realized, I started to realize at that point, that was the dilemma of my whole life. And that was where I had been stuck is that I had, I had thought I either have to let it all go and go away, or I have to let go of all of that, my desire to pursue the divine, my desire to be a monk, my desire for higher states of consciousness and stay in the material world, material Mm. world. I, I got stuck in this binary equation of either or. And in terms of separation. Exactly. And Mm. the huge impact that Dr. Joe had in our first conversation was, was opening up the possibility that it could be all of that. Yeah. The possibility, right, it was worth exploring the possibility, and certainly with with COVID at the time, I didn't I didn't really have another choice. I mean, I could have just stayed in my in my home in LA and continued mm. to meditate. Well, that was certainly a choice. But what was that something... for you? Like, um, like wow, like like an aha moment. Um, it's, it's what we call in it German, was a huge. Erlebnis. Yeah, it was a huge. How do you say it in German again? In German, it's aha erlebnis. Aha, uh-huh, Erlipnis. I like that. Uh, yeah, it was. 
it was a huge aha moment. Um, and it, and it sort sort of, uh, that first conversation I felt really bonded me to this, this man. And, mm. and, um, and we kept having those kinds of conversations and he became a friend. He still is a dear friend. And I consider him one of the most impactful mentors in my life, mm. but he, you know, he never asked me to come to one of his events. He never really, I, I kind of knew what he, you know, I eventually found out what he was doing, but he never asked me to, to go. He, he, um, he, he was very humble about that. And it wasn't until I had friends that were going, that were being transformed. And I thought, man, of all these things that I've done, I, I've done these retreats all over the world from Tony Robbins to ayahuasca in, in Peru. Some of the most profound and impactful changes I was seeing were people that were coming from his, back from his retreats. And so eventually it took me quite a while, but eventually I decided to go to one of his retreats. I can't even remember if I text him to say I was going, I think I just showed up and I walked in and I took my seat with the other 2000 souls that were there in Marco Island, Florida. And one of the first words out of his mouth were welcome to my monastery. Now, not to me, this is to the sea of people he was sitting in front of. Mm. And when he said it, the, the hair stood up on my arms. And it was at that moment I realized that I had called this in, in my request to the divine to show me the highest potential. This is what, mm. this is what had showed up. Me I mean, what are the chances? <laughs> yes, yeah, what are the chances? The guy that was trying to get off to the monastery that is prevented from that, I mean, this is true truth. You know, the expression we have in English, truth can be stranger than fiction. Mm. The guy who's trying to go to the monastery who gets stopped from going to the monastery because of a world pandemic that's never happened before, then meets, then has this, this world famous, whatever you want to call him, self-help guru, uh, self-improvement guy walk mm. into his life who doesn't tell me about anything, any of this. And then I end up at one of his events, and the first thing he says is, "Welcome to my monastery." I mean, mm. you couldn't you couldn't write it better than that. Was that a kind of homecoming for you? I I, I didn't think of it in those terms, but I think you could say I think you could you could say something like that. Yeah, I met mm. I met some, and I met some of my closest friends to this day at that retreat, and. I have brought in or developed further developed great friendships in and around this work. So in a way it has become, it has become a coming home. Yeah. Beautiful. If you look back now, is this, do you really consider it as, as your creation? You did this. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I know that that is a trend in the new age movement. Mm. And I don't necessarily think that that's incorrect. I just, I do, I'm not fully comfortable with that statement. And I think my belief lies closer in the idea that we are, we are part of creation. And therefore we are, we've been invited into co-creating reality. Mm. 
And let, let me put it I, in a different way, Nick. In, in well, way, let me in just let me just finish yeah, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, finish, yeah. I'll finish this thought, yeah. which is that because it, it gets a bit complex, but this is this is where yeah. I believe that the multiverse might be possible. Possible yeah. this concept of infinite universes. Yeah. So perhaps there is a version of that universe where I become the ultimate creator of everything that happens. Mm. And there are other versions of the universe where I am not because I haven't chosen to be. Mm. And so perhaps, perhaps, and it seems, it seems that this could be a possibility to me mm -hmm. that the more that we engage in creating our reality, the more that that becomes true. Yeah. But it's hard for me to believe that I just created you no. to interview me on this podcast it no. feels closer to that we created one another yeah. that we were part well, of this creation together exactly and it's it's um what what came up to me was like do you feel that now you're allowing it to happen or to to create and and to i think in, in, in i think co-creation but but the allowance and the acceptance of Yes, uh, going into I think, that I th flow of, of 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 state of being, without any forcing or without any uh, mind of I want this. You know, it's I just allow things to 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 come to me on on in in a way that is already that is there for me, something like that. Oh. Yeah. So we were talking. Yeah. Good. So, so this idea of co-creating to me, I, I think, I think it goes back to this idea of surrendering. Mm. Yeah. One of the, th one of the things that, that I, I like to review with the people that I work with is this idea that, you know, we, we are the beneficiaries of five extinctions of mm. conscious life on this planet five times life was almost completely wiped out and the little bit that survived resulted in us being here today and being able to have a conversation mm. on a handheld device video conference call that you're going to then be able to pass on to 15,000 other people i mean that's incredible mm. and And that is the result of a force much greater than we can imagine that's yeah. continued to support and encourage and elevate the evolution of life. Mm. And we're a part of this thing. So I think part of it is surrendering to that, that there's something much greater mm. that's in play and that has always been in play. And then part of it, I think, is... I do believe, and actually, to be honest, I'm a little bit split on this, but but what I love what Dr. Joe says is that if we don't consciously decide to participate in the creation of our reality, then we leave ourselves victim to what otherwise will be mm -hmm. chaos, right? All of existence mm -hmm. 
is a dynamic of chaos and order, chaos and order, chaos and chaos forming towards order, bending mm. towards order. So we are part of, and we should be part of this order that is created in the chaos. And the more that we participate in that order, the greater that evolutionary curve. Mm. And the less we participate it, I think probably the, 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 the less that evol evolutionary curve will continue. And either way, either way, I think mm -hmm. if we just surrender to all that is, it's still going to be fine. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not a doomsday guy. I don't think that, mm -hmm. I don't think life or consciousness is ever going to end regardless. I think, first of all, I think consciousness is fundamental to all of existence. And I think based off of the evidence of the last, you know, 4 billion years, I think life is, I think life's got it. I think we're going to be okay. I think it's going to continue. Mm -hmm. Right. Would you say, would you say that a, a path to self-development, self-quote and, and maybe enlightenment or whatever you would call it is to find yourself in a permanent state of order rather than chaos is that is that or 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 do they belong together as um, a kind of antidote i think based off of what i have witnessed in the universe mm -hmm. from what i understand is that there is no permanent state of order mm. everything in the universe seems to be a process of a creation Mm -hmm. of order and a disintegration of order. Yeah. Order is created, it's disintegrated. Then it's reformed and it's created to a greater degree and it's disintegrated. And so that's all I that's all I see, that's all I know and I don't yeah. I don't perhaps there is a fundamental order beneath it all that we don't see. Yeah. That's very possible. And clearly there is. There is a fundamental order beneath it all in the form of energy. And I think maybe that's what Dr. Joe refers to as the all thing, all time, everyone, mm. all beingness, the oneness, ultimate oneness. Yeah, exactly. And perhaps anything that is not of that order is just an illusion of chaos. So that's possible. Mm. I think yeah. that's possible as well. Mm. But it, in terms of three-dimensional reality and in terms of our experience of the universe, For me, all I see and witness is, is order that's created, it bends, it's yearned for. We bend towards order, and then that order is disintegrated, and then it's recreated. And I think that's what the human life is. I think, I think spirit is created in order in the body. I think we create more and more order in the body as mm -hmm. we grow and we get older, and then that order disintegrates, and that's what death is. But I think that there is a learning that happens through that experience that doesn't go anywhere that mm. stays. And then I think it happens again. So I think if anything lends credence to this idea of, of multiple lives or um, rebirth, it's mm. that. Mm. And that might be a good place for us to, to uh, end this conversation. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing, uh, Nick. Is what I is there anything 
that comes up now that you say, well, dear listener, please take this away from me. No, please take this as a takeaway. It is uh, something that you that you really would like yeah. to emphasize on yeah. your learnings and from your teachings that you really would like to share with, with, with the listener. Everything's going to work out. Mm. Everything's going to work out. And if you let it, it'll work out better than your wildest imagination mm-hmm. and better than your wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. But everything is going to work out. And we're in a place right now where the world is seemingly disintegrating into chaos. And I, and I think it's probably likely that we're going to see more and more chaos over coming years. And I would urge people not to allow that to change their state of being to one of panic and fear and uncertainty. Remain certain, remain grounded that it's all going to work out. All of it will work out in the end. Thank you very much, uh, Nick, for this beautiful call, full of inspiration, teaching. Okay. And I also would like to invite everybody. Nick is coming to Luxembourg at the end of April, uh, where he will have a two-day seminar. And you can all you can find everybody everything on the website. But please remind me, Nick, on which website they should go to if they would like to attend the seminar with you. Where yes, can they, they can. Find you? They can. They can. They can. Well, the easiest thing for them to do would be to email me. Uh, or or message me. They can email me at nick n i c k m nick m at neurochangesolutions.com. So that's nick m at neurochangesolutions.com. And like you said, it'll be a two day workshop in Luxembourg at the end of April. And we have scholarships for available for anybody that may not be able to mm. afford it or feel they feel um, they may feel a financial hesitation, but mm-hmm. we welcome any and all that would like to come. We'd love to have you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And if uh, people did not uh, hear the, the spelling correctly, you can also uh, email me or send me a message and I will be happy to forward it to Nick for you. Thanks again, Nick. Thank you so much for your time, Stan. Thank you very much for listening to Studio Stain. If you want more inspiration, just go to my website studiostain.com or go to the Spotify website iTunes on Inspirational Leadership. You can also share this podcast with others who might benefit from listening to these inspirational talks. Thank you very much, great people.